This is episode number 245 of the Rising Man podcast with Elenia Aguilar. We must all reculture ourselves. What's up, Rising Man family? This is Jetty Azuma here with another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I have a really special guest I want to introduce you to. Her name is Elenia Aguilar. She was an aerospace program student in South Mountain High School when she discovered her undocumented status and realized that her plan to join the Air Force Academy was not possible. Elenia was denied opportunities and the ability to contribute and earn a living. Despite the struggles and setbacks, she never stopped working towards a better, more secure future, earning temporary work authorization, permanent residency, and then full citizenship. Elenia graduated from the University of Arizona, became a proud mom to two boys, and now is running for Congress as an advocate for the people. In this episode, Elenia shared with us her definition of what it means to be a man and how that was shaped by the men in her life and raising two boys as a single mother. We talked about how being delusional and never giving up led her from her own challenges and hardships into the life she has now. The belief that we can have leaders who are compassionate and authentic and why she's determined to shift the standard of politics. And lastly, the, changes of assil- the challenges of assimilation for immigrant peoples and how we must all reculture ourselves while thinking about the future generations. Without further ado, Elenia Aguilar. All right, Rising Man family, I have a wonderful guest here joining me today, uh, Elenia Aguilar, who is in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much for being here. You've got such an incredible story. I'm so glad that we get to tap into that today and share that with the audience. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you for um, just the chance to share um, a little bit about my story. Obviously, we are all, you know, a book that is being written as we speak and um, our stories are long and they're, you know, different chapters, but, you know, just grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of the chapters and the highlights that I think are the best for um, sharing. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, before we get into your story, I have a question that I ask every guest who comes on the show, man, woman, young, old. So uh, you're not getting any special treatment here. And I know as a woman, this might be a difficult question to answer, but the question is, what does it mean to be a man in your opinion? In my opinion, to be a man means to be kind, to be thoughtful, to be gentle, to be um, vulnerable, to be caring, and to live in constant dilemmas and contradictions because of current times. Um, I'm raising two boys, and you know, as a single mother, um, I want to set the example in a, a you know, what I believe a man should be. But I do believe that being a man is the same way as being a woman. We are created to be good citizens of this universe and to be good and to give back. And and that comes in so many ways. Mm. I got to give you some credit right off the bat. You're, I've probably had, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 women as guests on the show over the years. And you're the first one who didn't hesitate at all when I asked that question. <laughs> Sometimes I feel a little bit bad because if someone asked me, what does it mean to be a woman? I, I probably would give a disclaimer, say, listen, I don't, 
I don't have, I don't know what it means to be a woman because I'm, I don't identify as one. Um, but I, I love that you just jumped right into it and it makes sense that you're raising uh, two boys to be young men on your own. I'm sure that has something to do with it. I'm curious what, what shaped that definition of what it means to be a man for you over the years? You know, one of the, the journeys in life is um, loving yourself mm. first before you can love a partner, whether whatever that partner looks like. But I believe the, the most difficult journey in life is loving yourself. And as someone who has, you know, just like everyone else has had good and bad experiences with partners and with your parents, your father, um, you know, as a woman, like, you know, having a healthy relationship with your father is very important. So you can have, or, you know, have a good relationship with your partners or raise good children or, you know, your boys can have a healthy relationship or see like good patterns. I will say that I've learned about, I will never know what it's like to be a man. I will never know what it's like to be of any other ethnic background, but I do know what I want and, you know, what I'm hoping for um, in my children, like the tools that I'm trying to give them so they can be those men that I admire and that I have had or I would have liked to have in my life, whether as a father or a partner. So I think those are the things that I pay attention to. And I always say like, whether you're a man or a woman, be that person first. And then, you know, you can expect or attract that same person. And I, I, I hope that I am being that good role model, even as a woman for my children, so they can be healthy men. and just good citizens of this world. And and that's all I can ask for. And that's how I, that's how I thought about those words um, was how do I want my children to be as they become men? And I'm one of them is a young man, he's 20. So what do I see in him that I really love and admire? And what am I seeing in my youngest? And what would I like to see continuing on? So that's how I thought about it. Yeah, I really like that. And one of one of the things I've been taught by some of my mentors over the years is that as a as a father, when I became a father, they they asked me. They said, "Well, you're going to have a son. So, what do you think is your role as a father to a son?" And I didn't really have it. I, I made something up, but I didn't really know. I, I I was stepping into fatherhood for the first time, and uh, and these men shared with me that the role of a father to a son is to prepare him for life, essentially to prepare him for the world, to give him access to tools and an example to develop his own version of what it means to be a man and to carve out his path in the world as a man. And then they asked me the because I have a firstborn son, second daughter, when she was coming along, they said, what do you think the role is for a father to a daughter? I'm like, well, also preparing her for the world, but there feels like there's something different. And they told me it's to be the example of the man that she'll marry someday, or at least I interpret it as to be the example of the men that you'd like for her to surround herself with, to, to know what a good man looks like, a trustworthy man looks like. And it sounds like from, from your definition, that's, that's what you've, what you've done for yourself is you've kind of identified, well, this is the type of men and man that I want to surround myself by, including the ones that you're helping to raise into the world. So that's a really, really great. I love that. I I think there's a lot of um, data to prove what these men told you to be true because they do say that 
young women tend to find males with the same characteristics that they saw in their fathers. So the healthier you are, um, that those are the kind of men they're going to be looking for. But if we are and we're humans and we're flawed and we could be good and bad and toxic and everything else. So they are going to want what the, what they saw as children and and that's going to feel normal for them. So if you were abusive towards their mother, they're going to think that abuse is normal because that's what they saw. So there's a lot of um, data to to back that up. So um, I always think about that myself and, and think about what are the things that I need to change in myself to be to be a better mother and woman so they can grow up and have healthy relationships with their partners and maybe their mother-in-laws or just their partners and they can treat them with respect. And I have to show them first how women should be treated. Um, and, and I think that is my responsibility ultimately, like you said, to give them the tools to be successful on their own and then to be kind and compassionate and caring and loving and honest and, and ethical and trustworthy men. I really want to highlight something you said right there, because before we started recording, you were talking about uh, self-awareness and taking time to slow down and actually can reconnect with ourselves and, and, and also the people around us to find that authentic self within us. And I think something you mentioned there is really important, a reminder for all of us that even slowing down enough to appreciate my actions today as a human being and how they're impacting those around me, specifically for myself as a father, actually giving some thought to the way I showed up today. How does that, what, what image is that helping to cultivate in the mind of my son when he thinks about the man that he's going to be growing up or in my daughter, when she thinks about who she's going to surround herself with as she gets older. And similarly for you as a, as a mother, I heard you having the awareness of your interactions with your sons and how that might influence their future relationships with women, whether it's their partners or mother-in-laws, et cetera. And I think that we get so busy in the world and jumping from one thing to the next that we often don't create space and time to, to consider at that level of depth. And I know that was something else that you were mentioning before too, is, is we, we live in such a fast-paced, disconnected world that we don't often create time to consider ourselves and our experience that deeply. And, and really that's, you, you could argue that's one of the most important things that we leave in terms of a legacy to our children and future generations. Yeah. I think it was a couple of days ago, I was reading an article about our generation raising children and how this generation is one of the most depressed and has the highest rate of suicide and how our generation has grown up, you know, being addicted to our cell phones and social media and technology so not only are we in a society that values and compensates productivity and just being busy and multitasking and how unhealthy that is for our health. And then as we are, you know, parents and partners, how that reality changes and shifts and we slowly disassociate because it's a lot. And how do we reconnect to ourselves? Like a lot of us were forced to during the pandemic. You know, we were forced to deal with our thoughts and and ourselves, right? Our relationships, either they thrived or they struggled because we had to spend so much time together. And even as parents, like I was forced to stop and change my entire like 
not my entire, but like changed my life because my, my oldest son at the time experienced a death. Um, the little girl he was dating at the time died in a tragic car accident with the mom and the brother. And, you know, I had to stop and be, be there for my child in a very, very troubling time. And he's experienced more than most of us have experienced at, at his young age. So I think, you know, there's a time where like the pandemic or tragedy forces us to stop. Sometimes, you know, we always say like a cancer diagnosis or, you know, loss of job or divorce that forces us to stop and reevaluate. But we can do that without having to go through that. And I think the more we can do that, the healthier we'll be because there is a disconnect. Our children are suffering as a result of, you know, we being so busy with our lives and, you know, our titles or, um, you know, just, you know, being addicted to social media or whatever that is, or if we are too busy trying to like volunteer and do all these other things that take away from our children's time and attention that impacts them. And it really, you know, it really makes us disassociate when we're so busy that we're now on autopilot. And one thing that I'm trying to do and is trying to connect and be more mindful and be present because I can't be, you know, a good mother. Well, I can't be a healthy human being if my mental health is struggling and I can't be, you know, a good mother if I am not present and I can't be a good employee and I can't be all the other things that I do, like the three other boards that I sit on, like I cannot, you know, contribute to these boards if I am not in my, if I'm not present, if I read the board agenda, if I show up to my child's game, but I am not there because I'm too busy on my cell phone or on my computer doing my work, like I'm not present. And that's one thing that I'm working on. And that kind of like happiness, it's, Balance and presence is something that we're always aspiring towards. Um, and we're always juggling, right? Like we're not always going to be happy. We're not always going to be balanced, but it's a, it's a juggling game of trying to get there and trying to be present and, and getting better at my meditation and just being mindful and present when I can be. Um, but it's a practice and, you know, we're not perfect and we continue on this journey. Um, and every day, like taking that small step and practicing it makes you a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I'm not like an expert on it. I'm just trying to be a better human, a better parent and kinder to myself. And I, I think we were both aware of the impact that that could have on the the larger population of people. I think that's actually a good segue to start talking about the the vision and the and the mission that you're on as uh obviously I'll record an intro later so people will hear about you as the first formerly undocumented person to run for United States Congress which is a huge accomplishment achievement in itself and a very bold mission uh, I know that so much of that from my earlier conversation with you is because of your passion to be an advocate for for the people and um what you, what you were just speaking about there, right? And in, in your own experience of trying to get yourself into more presence. What do you think are is the, at least where this ties into your reason for running for uh, a congressional seat, how you want to influence the people in, by, by having uh, a higher position of authority? So 
That's a great question. And I'm going to tie it back to the last question. So one thing that I have noticed is a lack of presence and the lack of just caring and compassion for, for our community, right? Like, I do believe that like a state, a country, a world is like based on who the population is, right? Like there's a reason why, you know, Austin or LA are a certain way versus certain places in Arizona. I think that human beings are like really trapped in like, you know, this whole like notion of, especially in this country, like where we value materialism and, you know, capitalism is the way. Um, I do believe that we can have leaders that reflect our values that are authentic, that actually have had the same experiences as the people that they are serving. And I want to be that person. Um, you know, being undocumented isn't a unique experience. We have millions of people in this country who are undocumented. Being an immigrant isn't a unique experience. Neither is being a single mother. But I know that based on my experiences and you know, I attended 20 different schools. I was told by a mentor who is, because um, I've been serving on the school board for the past seven years. And one of my mentors, he's a superintendent. He always reminds me, like, you aren't supposed to be here. Like, you aren't supposed to make it this far. And look at you. Look at how far you've gotten. And I don't ever forget that. Like, and it's true. Like, you know, if you look at stats, like someone, you know, from... My mother wasn't documented. She was moving every six months. Mental health issues are associated to being immigrant and documented because there's a lot of abuse. There's lack of housing. You know, there's always housing instability. There's always food instability. So all of those factors, you know, can dictate that there's going to be mental, mental health issues. So I do believe that despite all of that adversity, and I don't know if you overcome the adversity, but you definitely learn to um, navigate through the bad experiences and work and heal through them, but you're not forever healed, but you continue to go on this journey um, because it's, it's sometimes bothersome to me when people say that I'm so resilient because resilient means that we've had to overcome so much. And, and I think that that's not a good thing. People shouldn't have to be resilient. We should have systems in place to where people can be, you know, have deserve a dignified life or quality life because they deserve it because they're humans, not because they are Americans, but because they are humans. And I really do believe that giving, bringing a voice um, that has those experiences that are not unique, but they're not heard, they're not lifted. In Congress um, would really differentiate me and really make a difference for millions of undocumented people and our immigrants, our immigrant population here, whether you came here legally or, or without a visa or legal documentation, like we all struggle with the same things, which is assimilation and trying to like, you know, we never feel like we belong here and where we're from, we don't belong there. So it's a journey to navigate the systems just to start off. Those of us who are able to navigate them and be successful at it and get somewhere, you know, we're able, like, that's a 
very small segment of the immigrant population. It takes generations, maybe third, fourth, fifth, to actually like have college graduates and, you know, to move upward. Um, so it definitely is like something that I recognize that I've been very privileged. And, you know, in 2016, I voted for the first time and for myself. And that was a privilege of its own. I won my election. I was reelected. And then I was elected to the Water Conservation Board. I'm the first Latina in Maricopa County, the fifth largest county in the country to win countywide. That was almost 400,000 votes. Mm. And I recognize all the privileges that go with that. And that's why I want to continue on this journey of service. And that's the only way I can give back to this country that's given me every tool to succeed is through my service. And just, you know, be that voice, not just for immigrants or undocumented, but, you know, women, single women, um, people experiencing mental health issues, um, because that's the reality. And a lot of us are going through so many things, but we don't talk about them because there are stigmas. And, and I think we're doing a disservice to, to humanity when, when we pretend that we're something we're not. Yeah. I want to, first of all, I love everything that you said, and I want to circle back to the, the the word assimilation you were talking about the challenges of uh people who come from immigrant families or people who have immigrated themselves uh, the reality is is that unless we are re- identify as indigenous to to these lands then the rest of us have all come from somewhere else whether it was one generation ago or 10 generations ago we we all come from different places and um my family my grandparents immigrated my, my father's family from japan my mother's family from parts of italy in the middle east and we a lot of that culture I, I say sometimes fell off the boat you know a lot of what my my ancestors had to do in order to survive when they landed here was to assimilate into this new western colonial culture and i know many of us regardless of where you're ancestors come from, we've lost a lot of those cultural roots. And so when we talk about indigenous wisdom and land-based natural wisdom that I know you and I spoke about in an earlier conversation, many of us are disconnected from that. And I know that's something that you also believe in that you're an advocate for. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that, especially as somebody who's running for political office, you know, so to have awareness of that even is so refreshing. So I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So assimilation is something that is forced upon us, um, which, you know, for me, acculturation is the important part. Um, assimilation is, you know, our, the colonization of the mind, us coming to this country and trying to be like the white man or trying to be the white man, which, you know, is very interesting to me because, you know, we are not, you know, um, for most of us, we are not I'm indigenous. My grandmother is, you know, 100% indigenous woman of Veracruz, which is where I'm from. And I have dark skin and something that I'm so grateful and proud of. But for a lot of our, our, our people who come here, whether it's, you know, for second generation, like they're ashamed of the color of their skin. And for them, acknowledging that they are indigenous or of an indigenous background is embarrassing because for for a very long time, we have shared the narrative in this country that being Indian is a bad thing, that you are not smart, that you are not worthy. And, and I think, you know, even in my country of origin, like we discriminate, there's colorism, there's classism, and 
And being indigenous is a bad thing. So when you're leaving your country of origin to come to the United States, you don't want to be like, you know, what we are painted as by like, you know, interesting people that, that we're painted as like the rapists or the criminals. Like that is what people are thinking. Like even in Arizona, we're in the only state that is English only, which means that we are not allowed to teach bilingual education. We're a border state border state to Mexico and, you know, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo this before then, you know, this was Mexico. And there's a reason why there are so many Latinos of Mexican descendants. And a lot of people don't identify as Mexican. They identify as American. And because we have had very racist policymakers in the state where currently we're trying to battle the superintendent of education who's trying to take away our dual language programs, which are small little bilingual programs that we were able to like, you know, have, but he's tried to erase Max American history. And, you know, as someone who's proud to be connected to the land through my indigenous roots, you know, that's why when I ran for the water conservation board, like water is life, we are experiencing a mega drought there is a reason why, you know, we're experiencing like the hottest days that we've ever experienced. I'm like, we don't take care of our planet. And whether you are indigenous, a lot of different ancestors, the Japanese, many people believe that when you, especially you know, indigenous people, when you hurt the land, the universe, the planet, mother earth, you're hurting yourself. So when we, when we don't love ourselves, we don't care about the planet. So that is what's currently happening. We don't really love ourselves and we're not really taking care of our planet. And that's why we're experiencing the water shortages. We're experiencing the hottest times, you know, heat waves that we've ever experienced. And that's going to continue because we are not doing anything to reverse climate change. And that's really scary. And we know that like our ancestors, they worked really hard to protect, you know, Mother Earth. And, you know, they were the first engineers and scientists. And they built these beautiful like canal systems and irrigation systems, which is what we now have. And with modern technology, we've been able to keep up with them. But this is a design of, of our ancestors. And we haven't really done a good job at protecting our land. And I, I do believe that, you know, being connected to that person really is what keeps me going because I, I believe that my gods are like the rain and the air and the wind and the mountains. And I do believe that when I hurt my, the planet and I don't recycle and I live a materialistic life. I'm unhappy for a reason because we weren't supposed to live that way. When I am disconnected, when I do get to visit the places where I'm from or the tribes, I feel connected to myself. And interestingly enough, I did a 23andMe and I discovered that, you know, my ancestors, you know, I come from these lands. It says that I come from either Navajo or Zuni, which is, you know, Arizona, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I've had to prove my citizenship to a country that I've always belonged to. And that is not a unique story. That is the story of a lot of us. So wow. our indigenous people have been migrating north to south since the beginning of time because there have been droughts. 
and other natural disasters from the beginning of time. And our people have been migrating north to south. The only thing that's divided us is a man-made border. Um, but we are all the same people at the end of the day. Um, there is a reason why, you know, our languages are similar and our cultures are similar. And it's because we're the same people. Um, and I love that part of me. I love that part of recognizing that I am indigenous and I want other people to be proud of who they are and not embarrassed for their brown skin or the fact that they um, speak other languages. And when I say acculturation, it means, you know, embracing our culture, who we already are and our language because they are assets. If they weren't, then the rest of like the country wouldn't want to be like, you know, celebrating Taco Tuesdays or eating guacamole or all those things that that they are trying to, um, you know, take or appropriate because they love it so much. So we should love it more because that is who we are. Obviously, those are just like anecdotes of like the little things, but like farming, for example, and eating organically or, or growing our own foods, that is who we are. We come from the land and we've been doing this for generations, but now yeah. it's the wealthy people who get to do that. And we, we have been displaced of our lands and our lands are, you know, contaminated and our water's contaminated. So it's really hard and it's harder and harder to do those, to have our practices because we don't live in, in similar situations like we did in the past where we could grow our own crops and, and eat off of the land. And, and that's becoming harder and harder, but really recognizing that we already come with so many assets, which is our language and our traditions and that so many people love and admire them. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many people, you know, trying to be the way that we are. And and I want people to really take that and embrace it, right? Like, whether, you know, you're brown or any other ethnic background, like, just be proud of who you are. Because, you know, we are what makes this country so great. And it's our diversity. And it looks, you know, your children, my children, they are the most ethnically diverse generation ever so we can't just say oh well what is mexican anyways like we are not we're indigenous and we are european and depends if you know what part of europe and what part of mexico you're from it could be the spanish the polish the german but also like we have african history as well like the spanish brought the slaves with them and we in veracruz and in the caribbean um, coast of Mexico, we have Afro-Mexicanos. And there are people who are still, you know, in the Caribbean Mexican who are Afro-Mexicanos. And we are just humans at the end of the day. We're a combination of so many different, you know, backgrounds. And that's what makes us beautiful. And when we come to this country, we just want to be something we're not. I recommend that you just be yourself and people will embrace that. And I think that there's also a tremendous opportunity for us to reculture ourselves. Um, you know, I, everyone's circumstances are different, obviously, but uh, connecting to something that isn't necessarily this default modern Western colonial story and narrative of what it means to be a human on this planet, but but getting more curious. And I, I think I'm beginning to see some evidence in the younger generation of of curiosity as to who they are and where they come from. Um, it, obviously, it depends on who you're speaking with, but um, I think there's a genuine desire within all of us to understand where we come from and who we are. And I believe that our DNA has 
a lot more to say about the story than just our recent memory. You know, we, if, if we're fortunate, maybe we have four generations of our bloodline on the planet alive at any one time, but our DNA is capturing the story from the earliest humans. And I, I personally believe that those memories that are encoded into our DNA from our previous ancestors are just, they're just waiting there for us to take our hands and put them into the earth again and to begin working with the land or to go and spend time in the rivers and in the fresh water or fresh waterways. There's something that happens to us. I've experienced it myself where we start to remember things and, and to have a connection that no reason why that would have ever existed before. I've never been to this place before, but yet there's something, there's a knowing in me. And I think that that's one of the most important things moving forward is that as a people, regard like you said, we're the we're the our children are going to be the most eth ethnically diverse generation we've ever seen, at least as far as we know. And yet, there's there's all whether we're here in Texas or we're in Africa, it's all part of this same Earth, different regions, different lands, but all part of this same planet that is 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 yearning for us to be connected to her. I really believe that. And to be taken care of, right? Like there, she is crying for help right now, like literally. She's crying for help. It's supposed to be 118 degrees in Phoenix, in Arizona today. She's crying for help. This is not normal. And yeah, I, I feel the same way you do when I'm out just grounding, right? Like at the beach or like, you know, in the forest in Northern Arizona, like there is something that feels whole about me, which I don't feel most of the time when I'm in my everyday, like busy life here in Phoenix. I I feel like something is lacking. And when I am connected to the land and the earth, I feel complete. And I think that is Mother Earth calling us and asking, you know, for more. And, and, and I think that it is up to us and the future generations. And definitely one of the reasons that I'm running, because when it comes to water and water is the most important resource, and we know that what's about to happen in the next couple of years is going to be scary. And at the end of the day, who will be the most impacted? Well, the, the, our vulnerable populations, and that's usually going to be people living in extreme poverty and that's our tribes. And then, you know, children, women, you know, of all ethnic backgrounds, but you know, who are living in poverty. And I, I think that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me well, that's what makes me want to run because I think about like, what does Congress look like? And it doesn't look like one of the healthiest places to be in. It actually seems like one of the most toxic places to be in. But I definitely do believe that we need to have leaders that care about our planet and our natural resources and that are there to protect it and to really stand up for those voices that are, you know, not often heard. And that is our native voices too. And they don't get to have a seat at the table. And for the most part, most immigrants and undocumented people don't either. Like there have been many times where I've pulled my own chair to the table or I've created my own table because that's just the way it is. Like no one's, no one's going to pull a seat out for you um, because it's mostly based on special interests. And I do believe when it comes to the planet and our resources and you know, our future generations, people don't really think that far, or at least in these political groups, they're just like, 
I'm not going to be around. Why do I care? Or they're just thinking like short term, like if they're lobbying or if they're like running for office again, they're, they're saying what they need to say to get reelected short term. So no one thinks long term and we need to be planning long term. Like what does it look like in the next 30 years when it comes to water in Arizona or like heat? Because we're only going to get hotter. How do we protect our vulnerable populations? We are having a housing crisis. How do we provide wraparound services to our mentally ill homeless population? And, you know, there's all these conversations and plans that you could do that you could be looking at for long term. But we think short term in politics because we're just thinking about like the next move. And that's not fair to anyone, to our planet, to our children, to our families. And it's a disservice, but that's the way it is in politics. And it will continue to be that way because most people aren't here long enough to to think that through or to see that through. So it really is like a short-term transactional. It's kind of like instant gratification. What can I do now? And how much, you know, how much can I make at this moment or whatever it is that people are thinking? And it's definitely not the way that I feel we should function because this is why we're in the situation we're in, in this country and why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Cause at the end of the day, you know, so far we've been one of the most powerful nations, but that's slowly shifting and changing. Um, but most people admire or want to be, or used to want to be like the United States and emulate and model after us. And I think that's shifting now. I agree. I think that that ship has sailed or is at least starting to sail. And one of the things when, when you talk about this nearsightedness that we've had uh, over the generations, the image that came to my mind was the obliteration and massacre of the buffalo in the Central Plains when, um, you know, when the, when the West was still being settled by colonists and just how short sighted it was to uh, to obliterate this resource that for thousands of years, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, uh, entire populations of people were able to coexist with. And then in a matter of a few years, just having it be completely wiped away. It's that short-sightedness that has become a prolific in our society. It's, it's a, it's a mentality. We, we, we think for the moment, you know, even kids, they say YOLO, right? It's like one, you only live once like, well, but, but more people are going to live beyond just you and I. And there's got to be that consideration. So I think that's a really important thing to note. And also something that you said before, but we started recording also is your belief in the American dream and how I think many of us, and this is not to say anyone's, this is a very broad stroke, but I think many of us believe that we're more disadvantaged than we actually are. And yes, there are real obstacles and barriers for many people, especially in this country, but yet there's also more opportunity than there's ever been. And if there's ever, if there's an example of somebody who's been able to do that, it's certainly yourself. So I just want to see if there's any other thing that you want to say about that. Yeah, no, I definitely do believe that the American dream isn't, I don't want to call it an illusion, but it is now more than ever, not attainable. It's worked for me and I believe in it naively and I can be delusional, but that's what's gotten me to where I'm at. But I also recognize all my other privileges. You know, out of those 20 schools, I went 
I had a really great like foundation um, in my primary education. And without that great foundation, you know, I could have failed at any point. But if it weren't for that strong like educational foundation that I received, I wouldn't be here. And I recognize that I have so many other privileges besides the fact that I had a good foundation. Like I've always loved school. I always did well. I always had an amazing teacher community member who told me to believe in myself. School was always a safe place for me. Like that's where I received love from teachers and safety where, you know, at home, my mom was always in abusive relationships and school was safety for me. So I do believe that I do believe in that American dream because it, it has worked for me, but I want it to work for everyone. I don't want to be the exception. My story isn't unique. I know there are children that are suffering. Like my sister is so undocumented and, you know, she never got the chance at the American dream. Her two children are addicted to fentanyl. One, one of them was murdered last year by another kid who was addicted to fentanyl. We're experiencing serious, you know, problems with the opioid epidemic. It is not a unique experience for just, you know, poor Latino or Black communities. This is something that's impacting everyone in this country. And I know that, you know, I can say that the American dream has worked for me, but it's not working for a lot of people. But I do believe that in this land, there are opportunities. I do believe that in this country, I can run someone like me who is formally undocumented, who, you know, shouldn't be here, can run for Congress. And I could never run for Congress in my own country of origin. I could never be a divorcee or a single mother and be successful. And, you know, I, I'm very grateful. Like I was able to like, you know, eventually like have a great job and I make six figures. Um, and I could never say that I could do that in my own country. Like, so I do believe that this country, we are still afforded so many opportunities, but I don't believe that you, you work hard and you like make it because there are so many people like picking our fruit and vegetables, cleaning our bathrooms, taking care of our children who will never have the same opportunities as me, even if they work the same hours or longer hours than I do. So I truly do believe that the American dream is 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 an illusion, but I do believe that there are more opportunities here than there are in other places of the world. And we're, you know, the reason that many people come here is not only because they are trying to, you know, seek this American dream and richness, but they're trying to run from like violence and crime and all of these horrible things happening in so many places of the world. And that's why we, they come here, we come here seeking safety and better opportunities and we can make it and we can with trauma, with poverty, make something of ourselves. And that's through quality education and wraparound services and great community. And I'm a proof, proof that that, that can happen and you can give back and you can be, you know, a good person. Um, but it takes a lot of, a lot of the stars aligning for this to happen now. And, you know, I, I want to go back to where, you know, people were just good to be good and helped others just because we're human beings and we deserve dignity and respect. And I, I hope to, you know, be able to 
be in Congress and help, you know, my community and bring more resources, but also just, you know, it's, it's human beings who are changing this narrative of like divisiveness and hate. We are the ones who need to change that. We need to, instead of lead with hate and resent of who has and who hasn't, and we need to share and spread more love and compassion. And that way they can be more forgiving and can be more understanding of people with that are different. And, and I think there has to be a shift and, and that's through love and compassion. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, what I really hear in your story is uh, what I imagine was putting all of your belief and all of your attention into yourself and and less on the circumstances around you, which regardless of where anyone's at, I think I think every one of us can be in a better position if we if we focus that attention and energy into ourselves. And uh, and I love that that message of personal empowerment is a part of what you want to share and what you want to bring with you along on your way to Congress. Um, before we wrap up, I have a couple of quick questions I want to ask you, and then anything else you want to say before we close out. So a uh, couple lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. Uh, so what's one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, that's that's a good question. There's a lot of lessons learned. Um, and um, nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary, including pain. That's a good one. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a human? Integrity. And lastly, what do you think the world needs most from men right now? Their vulnerability. Beautiful. Last but not least, what, uh, where can people go to follow you, find out more about your campaign, support you for all our Arizonians out there? Is, I don't know if that's is Arizonian, <laughs> Arizonans, Arizonians, Arizonians yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my website is www.aguilar, which is my last name, A-G-U-I-L-A-R, for congress.com. And um, Elenia Aguilar on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, they're all under Elenia Aguilar. Um, but yeah, you know, this is a campaign in Arizona, but obviously we can accept donations from everyone. Some of my closest friends are in Texas. I get to spend a lot of time in Texas because of my friends and in California as well. So, um, you know, this is a federal race. So contributions from any place are, are accepted or volunteers or just sharing the message or, you know, signing up, you know, to even just receive my newsletter is, is helpful. Um, I really appreciate this time. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come here and, and share about your, your mission and your perspectives. Uh, I really valued a lot of things that you said today. And um, it really means a lot to have somebody like yourself with your perspectives, uh, taking a step forward to be an advocate for the people and an advocate for the ways that I personally believe we we need to return to. So thank you for all the work that you're doing and um, wishing you the best of luck. Hope to see you in that congressional seat in the very near future. Thank you, Jaddy. I really appreciate it. You got it.
All right, y'all. Remember, for everything Rising Man, please head over to risingman.org and check out what we have going on over there. Thank you all for your ongoing support, for tuning in each and every week, for joining the Rising Man Brotherhood and being champions and ambassadors of our mission out there in the world. It means so much to have all of you on board and in support of this mission that we have here. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.